Welcome to Our Teenage Film Snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighborhood film snob, and this is a bonus episode. Uh, no guests this week, but if you're paying attention to the Instagram feed or you've been refreshing your podcast feed and wondering what's been going on, there was no new episode on Sunday. Uh, I was uh, between work and everything else going on, I was unable to schedule an episode. Uh, so unfortunately, we did have to miss a week, which I don't like to do, but I would rather do no episode than do something kind of you know, half put together and not of the same quality that we normally put out. Ironically, I am now going to record a bonus episode um, and try something a little bit different. But um, this should act as a bit of a filler between now and the next episode. I've got a bunch of stuff coming up. I've got a very cool crossover coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, obviously, we've just launched our Apocalypse series as well. So that is coming. Uh, it just happened to be a crazy week and we couldn't get anything together. So apologies for that. But um, hopefully what I'm doing today will uh, kind of make up for it, or at least tide you up until that next episode comes out. And this week, as I mentioned, I'm doing something different. I'm going to actually do a review, which is something that we don't typically do on I Was a Teenage Film Snob. Normally what we do is, as you know, we sit down with a guest and we talk about our favorite movies and do like a brief overview. Don't go into too much detail. But as the show grows and as we head towards premium content, which I know I've been talking about for a long time, it is coming, but I want to get it right. Um, I thought I would try something a bit different and do a review because reviews are going to be part of that future. We're going to do review shows. We're going to do some other little bits and pieces there. We'll probably talk about trailers a bit more as well, whether it's in a recording like this or whether it's on the Instagram. I know I'm doing a lot of clerical admin up front, but I'm just letting you know what you're in for. Because if you don't want to listen to a review, check out now because that's all I'm going to do for the rest of the show. Uh, it won't be a full-length episode like most of them. It's probably If it goes for half an hour, I'll be shocked. That being said, I have been talking for a few minutes already and I haven't talked about anything. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, let's get into it. The movie I'm going to review for you today is a brand new film, just came out last weekend and uh, was hotly anticipated by myself, uh, one of the biggest films I was looking forward to this year, and that is The Flash. So, for those who don't know, uh, I've been a long-time fan of The Flash, um, pretty much since that TV show came out about 10 years ago. I was a comic book fan before that, and I'd been reading comics casually, and I'd read some Flash stuff here and there. But that CW show with Grant Gustin, particularly those first two seasons, really um, got me into the character. Um, I really loved the father-son dynamic between Barry and Henry um, and, of course, all the supporting characters as well. Um, so I've been a Flash fan for quite a while. Uh, I'm also a big Batman fan and Supergirl fan. This is not a joke. My top three DC heroes are Batman, The Flash, and Supergirl. So it really feels like this film was made for me. So and remember, I'm an overwhelmingly positive guy when it comes to films. So with all reviews, take it with a grain of salt. Like obviously, I'm going to share what I liked about it. I'll share the things that I didn't like about it as well, which is pretty uncommon for this show. I tend to focus on the positive. I will highlight some things that I wish they'd done differently. Um, but it is going to be a mostly positive review. Um, but as I say, whenever I do review things on those rare occasions, don't listen to me, don't listen to any critics, go vote for yourself. If you want to check it out, go see it. And if you don't like it, that's cool. But don't, um, don't let me or anyone else, in, you know, influence you, you know, let the fi film speak for itself. Um, so I've been looking forward to this film for a, a long time. It's been a production that's been fraught with peril as many of the DC properties have. Um, it was one of the films announced on the slate back in, I want to say 2015, 2016, after Man of Steel, after the announcement of Batman v Superman, um, we saw our first glimpse of Ezra Miller's Flash um, in Batman v Superman in like a three-second clip. Uh, and I actually really enjoyed that. 
Um, actually, he's actually another thing about. It. I haven't watched Batman vs Superman in about a year, but he's actually in it the most of all the Justice League members. Of course, aside from Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, because he has that clip. But there's also that time travel thing as well. And I really dug the casting of Ezra. I really dug the look of him in. Sorry, look of them um, in the in, in the flick in that very brief preview. And I like the way they did the speed. Um, just kind of that blink and you'll miss it um, faster. And I really enjoyed that as well. But so after Batman v Superman, DC and Warner Bros. came out and did that massive presentation and they announced a bunch of films that didn't come to be. They announced a Cyborg film, which never happened. They announced a Flash film. And originally at the time, it was meant to be Antoine Fuqua directing, if I remember correctly. Um, John Francis Daly was attached at one point. Grant Morrison wrote a treatment at one point. Um, so the film has gone through a few change in, changes in leadership. Uh, but ultimately... They settled on a couple of years ago, Andy Machete, who is probably most known for directing the It series, um, those two remakes. And when they announced him, I was really excited because I thought those It films were very, very good. The second one's ending is a, you know, a bit of a CGI mess for me, um, but it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. Those films are scary. They definitely made me jump out of my seat a couple of times in the theatre, uh, and they're insanely rewatchable as well. So announcing Andy Machete, I thought was a great idea. Um, obviously, Ezra Miller had already proved himself uh, in the brief appearances we had seen them in. And also, uh, if you haven't seen Ezra Miller's work before The Flash, they were in We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is brilliant. Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I talked about with Michael from We Love Horror a few weeks ago as well. Uh, so I had no doubt in my mind that Ezra would be able to crush this role. Then Justice League came out, and whilst it wasn't everyone's favourite take on that, uh, that team, I actually liked the 2017 Justice League film. I didn't think it was a total train wreck. Um, obviously, it wasn't the film that I was hoping it to be, but I was still, you know, found it enjoyable. When Zack Snyder's Justice League was released in 2021, that's when you got to see the true vision and everyone gets a lot more you know, room in it. They get a lot more to do. And Ezra is fantastic. Um, that whole speed of force uh, sequence at the end where the Flash literally uh, remakes the world after Darkseid destroys it, spoilers for a two-year-old film, uh, is breathtaking. And all of the moments he had with, uh, they had with Billy Crudup was excellent as well. Obviously, in this film, The Flash, Billy Crudup does not play Henry Allen. There was a recast due to scheduling, and instead it's um, Ron Livingston, who I think does a fantastic job, um, does a really good job. I would have loved Billy, um, but I'm happy with I'm happy with uh, with Ron Livingston. I thought he was did a great job. So The Flick uh, is a time travel film. It's based loosely on Flashpoint. If you're not familiar with Flashpoint, it's a time travel story. Basically, um, Barry Allen in the comics decides to go back in time and save his mum from being murdered. And uh, in doing so, he kind of creates a whole new universe where there's no superheroes. Um, I think if I remember correctly, the only superhero from the original Justice League is Cyborg. Wonder the Justice League never formed. Wonder Woman and Aquaman got married and then ended up having a war um, for the fate of the Earth. Superman didn't land in Kansas. He landed in a government site and gets locked away. So he never becomes Superman. Uh, Bruce Wayne is murdered um, Instead of his parents, his dad becomes Batman, his mum becomes the Joker. So it's a really fun, dark, interesting take on the DC universe. I really enjoy it. Um, it's been done quite a lot in the last 10 years. There was an animated film, season three of The Flash, worked on it a little bit as well, and now this is the third take on it, to my memory. They might have done it a couple more times, but that, to, the, to my memory, it's the third take on it. Um, and it's a really good... It's a really good film. It's a really fun version of it. They obviously take some liberties. We don't have Thomas Wayne. We've got a different Bruce Wayne played by uh, Michael Keaton, which is really good to see. Uh, we don't have the Aquaman, Wonder Woman storyline. 
Aquaman doesn't show up, but his dad does show up actually in a in a brief cameo. And spoilers, uh, spoilers for everything I'm talking about. Say spoilers for everything. Uh, Aquaman does show up in a post credit sequence. Wonder Woman also shows up briefly as well, and it was really lovely to see Gal Gadot and uh, and Ben Affleck kind of interact as well. Uh, so I won't go in and out of the full plot of the story, but basically it opens. Uh, Barry is obviously an active member of the Justice League. He's still trying to figure out his place because he's trying to balance his new crime lab job so he can help you know, free his dad from prison because his dad was arrested for the murder of his mum falsely, uh, which is very true to the comics. And he's trying to do that, but at the same time he's trying to you know, balance his work life with his Justice League life with you know, trying to you know, meet a girl and very, very standard. It's almost, it's almost a Spider-Man story, you know. Uh, I find that Barry and Peter Parker are very similar in certain ways. So uh, so it opens with him, you know, running late for work. That's the, the great joke of The Flash, particularly Barry. He's always running late, even though he's the fastest man alive. And um, he's running late. And while he's, you know, waiting for his, his breakfast, um, Alfred, you know, calls him and says, you know, Batman needs you in Gotham. There's something going on. Um, I didn't catch it in the in the initial screening that I watched, but I was reading up later that the main villain, or not the main villain of the movie, but the villain in the opening chase sequence is Carmine Falcone's son, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I didn't catch it when I was watching it because there was so much going on. But now that um, I know that, I thought that was a nice little detail. Because when I was watching, I'm like, why wouldn't they just throw in a villain? Why wouldn't you just do someone, you know, it doesn't have to be anyone major. You could just do Calendar Man or, you know, it doesn't have to be like one of the big four villains, but I don't know why they didn't do a major one. But then when I found it was a Falcone, I was like, all right, cool. I like that. Um, the opening scene is a bit, or the opening scene is a bit ridiculous. I'm not 100% convinced with the suit. Um, I think the suit does look a little bit unusual. Um, the teardrop helmet really kind of compresses his face, but I love the rest of the suit. I think the bodysuit is great. I think the boots are great. I think everything except for the helmet, I'm just a little bit not quite convinced on. But the fact that we're getting a comic accurate version of that of that suit is still pretty impressive. Um, so he teams up with Batman. Batman's chasing down, you know, the Falcone truck while Flash is there to like kind of save people. A hospital kind of falls apart. And this is where we see the first of what has been heavily criticized CGI for this film. Um, the biggest complaint that a lot of people had with this movie is the CGI. I actually think for 85% of the film, it's very, very good. Um, I don't care about CGI as much as most people do, apparently. Um, you know, at the end of the day, CGI shouldn't make or break a film for me. Like, if it's well-written, if it's well-performed, if it's engaging, the CGI doesn't matter, you know? Like, you can still watch old films um, and still get a lot of fun of them. Even the CGI isn't very good. Um, but, yeah, so he's, he's uh, basically <laughs> the hospital explodes and all these babies fall out of the window, um, and he has to go and catch them in different creative ways. And the babies just look weird. Like, they're, de- like they're clearly CGI babies, and they look very strange. However, um, Andy Machete did come out recently and say that some of the CGI was deliberately made to look strange. Um, now, whether that's accurate or whether that's just them kind of covering up for the critique, I'm not sure, because um, it's the first of a few weird ones. But every the worst uh, – what am I trying to say? The CGI is at its weirdest when Flash is running fast, when things are slowing down. And they were saying they were trying to kind of come up with this idea of a Flash vision. So, like, because he's running so quickly and he's kind of in, like, a fishbowl um, – things look a little bit more augmented and unusual to him. So if that's the case, it is consistent with the CGI. You know, every time the CGI looks really weird, it is when he's running and everything's slowed down. So the babies look strange. When he's running through the Speed Force later, they do this kind of weird, um, kind of like he's in a, he's like in a, 
in like a fishbowl type thing he's running and then like everything kind of clockworks around him it's like a big like kind of stadium that grows at different frames of um of time i'm not explaining it very well um and everything was kind of cartoonish and it's been compared to the polar express quite a bit um it looks a bit you know kind of playstation 2 early playstation 3 graphics with the characters and stuff like that but it's fine um it is consistent with the the discussion by the director so i guess that's fine um so the opening sequence is probably the goofiest part of it and that was the only time i was a little bit unsure especially with that baby saving sequence because like i just i thought it was a bit silly but at the same time it's the flash the flash is a little bit sillier can be a little bit more fun so whilst it wasn't you know my favorite thing in the movie i wasn't you know ready to walk out of the cinema or anything like that um then we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into Barry's personal life. So we see him visit his, his father, uh, calling his father a prison. We see the apartment he lives in. He has a chat with Bruce. Um, and um, we kind of see some flashbacks to young Barry. Whoever, the kid that plays young Barry, I can't remember his name, um, is like picture perfect for Ezra. Like looks like young Ezra Miller, like fantastic casting. So good. Um, and really wonderful. Um, I'll look it up while I'm talking. Um, so we kind of see a flashback to, yeah, when Ezra is, um, or when Barry, sorry, is a bit younger and kind of him engaging with his parents. And it's basically the day that his mother is murdered. Um, his mother is played by uh, Maribel Verdu, who I'd never heard of before. Um, she is a, a Latin actress, I believe, um, Spanish, and she's been in a lot of Spanish films, but she was in Pan's Labyrinth um, and Ito Mama Tambien, which are two fantastic films if you haven't seen them. Young Barry is played by uh, Ian Lowe. And I think this is one of his first performances. He's done a handful of things, but he was wonderful as well. So we see basically the events that transpire. We don't see, interestingly, who murders um, Barry's mum, Nora Allen. In the comics, it's usually Eobard Thorne, the reverse Flash, which I assume is what they're building to. Um, if we get a second Flash movie, it would make sense that the next villain be um, reverse Flash because um, he is not in this film at all um, and there was no kind of leanings to like there was no mention of a Reverse Flash um, and that's probably the biggest difference with this version of Flashpoint in the previous ones Earbud Thorne was heavily involved and um, you know kind of mocked Flash for ruining the universe basically but he's not in this one so we see kind of the aftermath of Barry's mum being murdered and Henry Allen kind of comforting his wife and it's at that point that Barry realises I've travelled in time. I saw, you know, the events of today earlier. I can, if I run fast, I can go back in time. I can stop my mum from being murdered. But before I do that, I'll talk with Bruce Wayne. And there's a really great little conversation with Ben Affleck and uh, and Ezra talking about travelling in time and the idea of, you know, kind of playing with time. And it's the last moment we get of Ben Affleck's Batman. That's the last time we see him. Um, and from you know, from what I understand with the reframing of DCU, um, with James Gunn in charge. We will never see a Ben Affleck Batman again. So um, it was nice to get him for as much as we did. We got to see him in the suit. We got to see him as Bruce Wayne. We got a couple of moments um, that were really fun. Uh, there was another Lasso of Truth sequence, just like in Justice League, um, the 2017 version, where it's played for humor. I thought this one was done a lot better. Um, it was really nice. So uh, so with that, Barry decides to go back in time um, and save his mum, but instead of interfering, I said I wasn't going to do the whole plot, and I'm basically doing the whole plot. Um, instead of interfering, you know, with the murder, he goes back and prevents her having to go, her dad, his dad ever leaving, I'm stuffing this up. He goes back in time and stops his dad from visiting the store because basically what happens is his dad goes to the store, the house is empty, and then someone comes and murders his mum, and his dad 
doesn't have an alibi. So he goes ahead and prevents that event from happening. But then what happens is this mysterious character, um, who we'll get into a little bit later, basically pushes Barry out of the time stream as he's returning home. So he's returning to his present day, he's running, and then Abner, this mysterious character, pushes him out of the speed force and he lands basically on the day where um, he gets his powers. So he meets a young Barry Allen, an 18-year-old Barry Allen, also played by Ezra Miller, um, and obviously his, his parents are now safe. So his dad's alone in prison, his mum's alive, and it's really beautiful. Um, all the mother-son, father-son stuff is done really, really well. Ezra knocks it out of the park, but so do both, both the actors who play his parents. Um, it's really, really beautiful. Um, but one of my favourite performances in this film has to be Ezra Miller as young Barry. Um, he's meant to be annoying. So if you go in there and be like, oh, he's irritating, that's kind of the point because he's 18 years old and he never went through the loss that Barry Allen we know went through. So he never know, he never knew his mum being murdered. He never knew his dad going to prison. So he's kind of cocky. Um, he's kind of a layabout. He's, you know, he takes everything that he has for granted because he doesn't know anything different. The CGI is fantastic. You know, this is where I really, you know, kind of really defend it because people have criticised the, the CGI a lot in this film. It's seamless, the two Barry stuff for me. Like when Barry's talking to Barry, when Barry's fighting Barry, when Barry's, you know, moving Barry around in the Speed Force, it looks great. Um, Ezra's performance as kind of modern-day Barry and young Barry are great. It's a wonderful parallel. Yeah, yeah I think the 18-year-old Barry is very, very funny. Like his ignorance and stupidity is very, very amusing. Um, and uh, what we learn in this version, you know, that took, you know, out of the Barry we know, um, a lot longer to do is this young version of Barry has a date with uh, Iris West today. The day of his, you know, the day of his 18th birthday, the day that he, oh, not his 18th birthday, but he's 18, the day he's meant to get his powers, he has a date. Modern Barry, the one that we know, doesn't take that chance until much, much later. Um, so you kind of see the influence of the different time streams there already. And uh, the Barry that we know, the modern Barry, has to get young Barry to ditch the date because he has to go to, um, it's not Star Labs in this one, I think it's, Actually, it wasn't Star Labs in, in the in the series either, but he has to go to this crime lab and be exposed to the chemicals and get struck by lightning to get his flash powers. Um, and what happens, which is different to any version of Flashpoint that I know, in all the other versions of Flashpoint I know, Barry does lose his powers, but it's just through the events of the time stream. In this one, in giving in helping young Barry get his powers, current day Barry loses his powers, and he has to kind of teach young Barry how to use his powers. So what we get is an origin story within this kind of more advanced multiversal time t time travel story, which was really clever. I really liked it. I was um, not expecting any origin stuff, really, but I thought it was a really clever way to do it without it feel like an origin story. Like, you never feel like, oh, my goodness, we have to go through, like, all the trials. I have to meet who Barry Allen is. Like, we know who Barry Allen is at the start of this film. We've seen him in a couple of films. We get the idea of who The Flash is. Um, and But you still get to see some origin stuff as well, which was really fun. So you kind of go through all that. Um, young Barry learning to be the Flash is really amusing. Um, young Young Barry is very crass as well. He curses a lot and makes a lot of innuendo jokes, which is very amusing. Um, and then one of the best sequences, or one of the most amusing sequences for me in this film, is when Barry takes Young Barry back to Young Barry's apartment and meets all of Young Barry's roommates. And what we find out is that this alternate reality has given us complete recast of 80s time travel films. So Back to the Future no longer has Michael J. Fox. It has Eric Stoltz, which for those who know about uh, Back to the Future, he was cast as Barney McFly originally and then was replaced by Michael J. Fox. So that was really funny. Um, so that was a really kind of fun, amusing moment in the film before we get into the, the flick proper. 
And then basically they have to go to Wayne Manor. They realize that all the Justice League that Barry knew in his time stream no longer exists, but there is a Batman. So they go to Wayne Manor um, and they discover the Michael Keaton Batman. And that was really great. Um, I was looking forward to it. Um, I know in my Batman episode of the show, I have previously kind of not ranked any of those 80s and 90s Batman films in my top 10. It doesn't mean I don't like them. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate them. Um, I, I love them, but, you know, we had 10 slots. And so it was really good to see Michael Keaton back. I thought he was really fantastic in the role. Um, it was also really good through the use of um, stunt doubles and CGI to see Michael Keaton get to be the Batman that we know um, from these modern films. You know, we saw Christian Bale's Batman be a little bit more active with his fighting. Obviously, the Ben Affleck Batman has set the standard. Uh, and even the Rob Pattinson Batman as well, quite a fighter as well. Back in the 80s and 90s, we didn't really get that. So to see, you know, modern technology assist, um, you know, 70-something-year-old Michael Keaton be a quick fighting Batman was really, really fun. Uh, and then we kind of launched into this kind of the second and third act. I'm not going to spoil too much of it, but basically um, the day that or the week that Barry comes back and helps young Barry get his powers is the week that Zod attacked Earth in Man of Steel. Um, we learned that Barry Allen actually was there. So just like in Batman v Superman, we saw the um, Zod attack from Batman's point of view or Bruce Wayne's point of view. In this, we see it from Barry's point of view. He was there. He'd just gotten his powers he wanted to help, but he just wasn't experienced enough to help. So now that he's experienced enough, he's like, I know what to do. I don't have my powers, but I can help you save the world. We don't have a Superman. We don't have, you know, um, a Wonder Woman. But between you and I, we can we can stop this invasion. And that's basically the whole crux for the, the third act of the film is they need to stop Zod in lieu of Superman, in lieu of Wonder Woman, stuff like that. So uh, they, they meet Bruce Wayne. Um, there's... A lot of plot stuff I don't want to get too involved in, but it's really it's really interesting kind of seeing the dynamic between young Barry and old Barry um, and Michael Keaton's Batman. And then they realize that Superman did land on Earth, but um, he's being kept in this stronghold. And I think I want to say it's in Russia. Um, it's, in a, it's in a European country. I think it was in Russia, if I remember correctly. Someone's listening to this right now being like, no, it wasn't. It was X, Y, Z, and that's fine. Uh, so they go out there, they break in, um, and they save who they think is Superman, but it's not. It's there's no Clark Kent, there's no Kal-El, there's a young woman instead. They have no idea who she is. They bring her out into the sun, and that's when they realize she's Kryptonian, or when Barry realizes she's Kryptonian, and it's Supergirl, Kara Zor-El. Um, Sasha Calais plays uh, Supergirl. I think I'm pronouncing her name cor correctly. I hope I am. Um, and she is my favorite thing in this movie. Um, I said before I'm a huge Supergirl fan. I loved Melissa Benoist. Um, I really enjoyed this portrayal. Um, I've read a few Supergirl comics, um, particularly the New 52 stuff, and there's a really great storyline where she becomes a Red Lantern. For those who don't know what a Red Lantern is, it's a Green Lantern, but they wear a red ring, and instead of being powered by will, they're powered by rage. Um, and she becomes like this brutal like member of the Lantern Corps, and like she becomes almost villainous because her rage is unrestrained. And we don't quite get that in this movie, but we get pretty close. Like You have to remember when... You know, when Clark Kent or when Kal-El lands on Earth, he's a baby. So he's shaped by the people who raise him. Kara Zor-El arrives on Earth as a, as a girl in her, you know, teenage years or her early 20s. Um, as, you know, in this version, she's kind of in her early to mid-20s. But arrives on, on Earth as a teenager and knew nothing but cruelty. You know, she was at a lab experiment. So seeing that Kryptonian rage, and it's different to Zod's. Like, Zod's rage is very meticulous. It's very structured. He's a soldier. He was designed to fight wars and conquer you know planets 
Kara Zorrell has just been trapped and now she's like, I need to get revenge. Um, but she's wonderful. She's really, really good. Um, the suit looks great. Um, I really hope that with that Supergirl film that's been announced for phase one of the DCU, I hope it's still her. Um, I think they'd be crazy not to cast her, although I've said it time and time again, Imogen Poots, put her in a superhero film, please. Supergirl, Invisible Woman, I don't care. Um, but she's great. Um, my only criticism of the film regarding her is I wanted way more of Supergirl. Um, but then basically we watch um, this kind of montage and ongoing kind of repeated battle sequence that involves a lot of time travel with Batman, the two Flashes, and Supergirl trying to stop Zod and the army and stuff like that. Um, and then it leads into our kind of the end of our film. So it's not – it's kind of the tail end of the third act because we do get our villain. Zod kind of is the villain but not really. There's What's interesting about this film is that there's not really a standout villain. Like there's not. Like – Ultimately, the Zod attack, you know, it's important in that world, but it's not from Barry's world. So he's a hero. He wants to try and save this world from Zod, but he's not the main antagonist. Barry doesn't really have an antagonist, except that we find out that the being who pushed him out of the Speed Force, spoilers, is himself. So the young Barry that he's been training from this current timeline um, can't handle the frustrations and disappointments of mistakes. Every time someone dies, he wants to go back and try again with the timeline and becomes warped and jaded um, and monstrous and becomes this weird, like, mutated dark flash. But it's not even a big fight at the end. It's kind of done in a very emotional way, and I won't spoil too much. I've already spoiled a lot for you. Um, But he's our antagonist, and then Barry, our present-day Barry, has to make things right and... um, he has this wonderful moment with his mother. He goes back and prevents. So he sees himself like prevent the, the events of his mother's murder. And then he has to go back and then make sure that those events do unfold again, which is really sad. Um, it's, I didn't burst into tears. I would have, I was sitting in the cinema next to my friend, Josh, who's been on the show and I was surrounded by a lot of people. Um, if I had been in that theater with less people or by my, or if I was just sitting by myself, I definitely would have burst into tears. It's very, very beautiful. Um, so what happens is Barry comes out and we find out he did make a couple of changes in the time stream enough to get his dad out of prison. Um, so he kind of runs late to the court case. We see a lovely little cameo from uh, Andy Machete and then um, his dad becomes free. Uh, the film ends with him getting a call from Bruce Wayne. It's hard to hear the voice. I knew it wasn't going to be Ben Affleck and I think a lot of people probably did know it wasn't going to be Ben Affleck. Um, but I was interested to know who it was because this is probably the biggest cameo there are a couple other cameos i will touch on before i wrap up the review um but basically uh he kind of gets this phone call from bruce is a bit muffled the lamborghini or whatever car he was driving at the southern pulls up and out gets spoilers 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 george clooney which i loved i've talked about george clooney batman a lot on this podcast that was my first batman movie batman and robin and i even you know (laughs) had disagreements with uh the boys from Midnight Terrors about doing a, re, a new George Clooney version of Batman. Um, I loved it. I don't know if that means he's going to be Batman moving forward or, you know, the Flash is meant to reset the universe. So based on what you're telling me, this is our new Batman. Now, obviously, it's a film and they can do whatever they want. I do hope we get more George Clooney Batman. I really enjoyed his appearance. There's a really wonderful exclamation from Ezra Miller. The, the hardest swearing in the film happens in that moment. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. So, a uh, couple of cameos. There is a moment where when the when Dark Flash is kind of 
telling his evil plan or talking to Barry about what he's been doing to try and save the world, we start seeing these incursions. Well, I guess that's a Marvel phrase. They call them incursions, but that's basically what it is. Basically, they can see the multiverse and all these different worlds kind of colliding and you know, they get to introduce or reintroduce a lot of characters we haven't seen in a long time. So we see um, Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater, Superman and Supergirl, on an Earth together, which is really lovely. We see Adam West, which is great. We see um, one of the Batman from the 1940s. We see the 1950s George Reeve Superman. Um, we see uh, a, a Jay Garrick flash. And then people were saying it was Teddy Sears from CW, but it's actually been kind of left in the air, whether that's him or not. The other big surprise, which I think I had heard this, but I'd forgotten, was we get, again, spoilers, Nicolas Cage Superman. So uh, Nicolas Cage was meant to be Superman in the 90s in a film written by Kevin Smith, directed by Tim Burton. He was going to have long hair and a rainbow suit, and he was going to fight a giant spider. Um, And they did a lot of that sort of stuff, which was really cool. Um, I kind of hope we get more of Nick Cage Superman, but it was really nice to finally see that realized. And if you're going to do it in any project, this is the one to do it. Um, so that's kind of the flick in a nutshell. It's two and a half hours long. It didn't feel long to me at all. I loved pretty much every moment. The biggest criticisms I have for the film, as I mentioned, is some of the CGI does look a bit wonky, but I was fine with it. Um, especially following that explanation, like it didn't ruin the film for me. Like, yes, it was jarring, but it didn't ruin the film for me. Um, I wanted more Kara and I thought the opening sequence was a bit goofy, but aside from that, I dug pretty much the entire flick. Um, I've skipped over a lot of stuff, but Ezra Miller is the star of this film. Um, and controversy aside, I know Ezra Miller's had a, a weird couple of years and he's done some pretty horrible things. Um, what I would say, you know, we always try to keep art and artists separated. Um, my, my buddy Josh actually asked me, he said, you know, what do you think about Ezra Miller, you know, especially after all the things? And I said to him, I said, look, not knowing the ins and outs of it, and none of us will know the ins and outs of it, I just said, look, it's really hard to, you know, to go through a mental breakdown, to go through mental health issues alone, let alone do it on the world stage. So whatever that's going on with Ezra, Ezra I hope they are better. I hope they are, you know, working towards being a, a better person and finding the support they need. And I do hope that, you know, they, they've turned a corner. They did do an appearance for the premiere for this film and they did seem to be looking and sounding a lot healthier based on the limited interactions we got with them. So I do hope that that is better uh, and that, that Ezra does turn a corner. And I, I hope Ezra gets to keep playing Flash. I really love them as this character. Um, Sasha Calais can do no wrong. She is the best part of this film for me. I loved Michael Keaton's Batman. I loved Ben Affleck's Batman. Uh, I love George Clooney's Bruce Wayne. Um, so all in all, I'm not going to give like a score or anything like that, but I really love the flick. Um, the film felt like it was made for me. And um, I think anyone who's coming out and criticizing the film is criticizing it maybe a little bit too hard. Um, this film uh, is very much like Age of Ultron. It has a lot of heavy lifting to do. It basically had to close down one universe and set up a new one whilst being its own standalone thing. I thought it walked those those lines pretty well. Um, is it Spider-Man No Way Home? No. Is it Avengers Endgame? Of course not. But like, it's unfair to compare those films, I think, because um, those are very different movies. But I thought for our first Flash film, finally, it did a really good job. It maintained that line of being fun but still having some weight to it, still being dark. Um, being child-friendly to a certain extent, but still being able to support and entertain the adult audience as well. So it was the flick that I was hoping for. I loved it a lot. And, um, you know, if I got out of the cinemas more, I'd definitely go and see it again as soon as possible. 
I don't have that kind of access to the theaters at the moment, um, but I will be picking up on Blu-ray as soon as it comes out. Uh, so anyway, that's going to do it for my review of The Flash. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. We will have a regular show uh, coming back next week. And the next time I do reviews, I will do them with someone else. Otherwise, you just listen to me talk for half an hour, 40 minutes. I think I did go for about 40 minutes in the end, um, which actually doesn't surprise me because I can't shut up. Um, thank you, as always, for supporting the show. If you want to go online and check us out on Instagram, it's I was a teenage film snob underscores between every single word. Uh, if you'd like to support the show by buying some merch, head over to tpublic.com, search for I Was a Teenage Film Snob, or click on any of the links in my profile. At the moment, I think you can get 20% off a T-shirt, which is great. We also do hoodies and stickers. And uh, that's pretty much it. If you like the movie, sound out in the comments below my post. Um, you can also contact me using social media. Um, tell me if you liked it. Tell me if you didn't like it. Um, I love talking about movies, obviously, and I haven't had anyone to talk to about this film really yet. So... Uh, that's going to do it for this week's bonus episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob. And as I say every week, bonus episode or not, I was a teenage film snob. But I'm trying to be better. See you next week. <laughs>